0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode number eight. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with me this week. As always, your tweets and your shares and your likes are getting this podcast out there to more people. Again, this week we're on the iTunes new and noteworthy category, thanks to you and your reviews. If you haven't left one already, please do so. That helps the podcast get seen by more people. Today's episode, we are talking with Kim Vargo of yellowbrickhome.com. Kim is a good friend of mine here in Chicago, but she also happens to be a pet portrait artist and DIY blogger with her husband, Scott Vargo, through Yellow Brick Home. Kim has sold over 700 pet portraits over the last several years and has transitioned from a regular day job to becoming a full-time self-employed artist. In our episode, we're going to be talking about how Kim got started with blogging and how she began selling pet portraits, which is a really interesting story that pretty much begins by accident. We're also going to talk about how Kim wisely transitioned from her day job to becoming a full-time artist. I have used her technique to transition to teach many of my own clients throughout the years how to go from a day job to being a full-time artist. In addition, we're gonna talk about Kim's other passion, which is pet adoption and rescue. We're gonna be talking about positive pit bull awareness and how she and her husband, Scott, became so involved in the world of pet rescue and pit bull awareness. In addition, we're gonna talk about the three things that Kim thinks it takes to become a successful artist. These are the first three steps really that anyone in any small business needs to take, but I think her point of view is so refreshing and hopefully really helpful for you. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the show, Kim, thanks for being here. Hi,
1: Jess. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, let's get started, Kim. Let's talk about your, your background and how you got to where you are today.
1: Okay, well, um, it wasn't always a smooth road, but I guess going all the way back to college, I went to school and graduated with a bachelor's in fine arts, and with a concentration on photography slash sort of a minor in painting, but mostly I concentrated on photography. Um, that was in Cincinnati, and I kind of job hopped around Cincinnati. Was a photography assistant for a while until. Um, I told my husband, Scott, I was kind of over Ohio, ready for a move, wanted to do something drastic and was like, are you coming or not? Luckily, he agreed. Was well, he? Wait, and... were you guys married back then? And you're like, nope. you're either coming with me or I'm going on the road. Yeah, it was like the make it or break it. No, we weren't married then. We were living together, but we weren't even engaged. So I'd say we had been dating for about um, two years. So, uh, you know, I said that we wanted, you know, I wanted a change, something different, something drastic. I never intended to stay in Ohio, Um, just personal preference, always just craved a bigger city. So we had visited Chicago a few times and I thought that was a city for me. And I applied for a job and got it in a photography studio. And that's actually what gave me the transition from Cincinnati to Chicago. After that, you know, of course, Scott, agreed to live with me, and he came with me to Chicago, and um, and that's how we made it from Ohio to Chicago, and then job hopped for a while until eventually, I guess long story short, we started blogging about a home that we purchased together, and that's how the blog was born. How long ago did you start the blog, exactly? <laughs> It has been, it will almost be five years this June. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Five years ago. Your career shifted a lot since then too. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I started the blog. Um, I have a friend. Her name is Renee, and she would always come over, and she would constantly, you know, say, "Oh my gosh, look what you did here! Like I can't believe you just up and painted this weekend." Or I'd be switching some furniture around, just constantly fiddling with this, with this condo that we lived in. It was a small space, and Scott and I liked the challenge of just kind of trying to make such a tiny space fit our needs. Um, and she said, "Why don't you start a blog?" and you know, after her kind of pushing me for a little bit, I eventually just gave in, started the blog, and I enjoyed doing it. And typically, something that you know about me, like if someone's going to challenge me, I'm going to try to do the best that I can do or you know, try to prove them right or wrong, depending on it. Like if someone's going to say, I bet you can't do that, I'll say, I bet I can. So the fact that she was like, start a blog, I thought, well, this is going to be the best blog ever. And so I really put a lot of heart and soul into it. I'm not saying it's the best blog ever. It is totally the
0: best blog ever. For the record, guys, if you guys haven't seen Yellow Brick Home yet, please go over there. She's such a great writer and their (laughs) photography, because of your background, is amazing.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the challenge that I put on myself. With everything that I do. So we had started blogging, and Scott would pitch in and blog with me, and we would just talk about the house. One day I posted a post about a painting that I had made for Scott. This kind of goes back because Scott had been wanting a dog for a while. And me having grown up with dogs, I just kept putting it off because I was like, it's a lot of work. Our home is very small. Scott has never had a dog in his life. So as a joke, I made him a painting of a dog, just like a a painting. (laughs) (laughs) And for his birthday, I said, here's your dog. And I posted it on the blog, which surprisingly, um, and I was not expecting this, a lot of readers started saying, wait, can you paint my dog? Which over time spawned a a whole part of my business called the Pet Shop. So in the Pet Shop, I actually now make portraits of people's dogs, cats, fish, birds. um, And and (laughs) that is now my actual job. Like that's my money making job. And it spawned from Yellow Brick Home, the blog.
0: You actually built your business through
1: your blog, essentially. Yeah, yes. And that was never the plan. It was accidental, but it is kind of amazing to think about. You know, it wasn't like, it kind of was like, oops, this fell in my lap. But at the same time, I went through a lot of ups and downs getting to the point where I am now to be able to live off of the paintings. A lot of trial and error, for sure.
0: How long did it take you from the first, I made you a dog,
1: Scott, painting (laughs) to um, full time? Um, I would say that I, there were, a year had passed before I was able to actually put a little page on my blog that was called the pet shop and then people could buy it with a PayPal button and then maybe two years had passed and I was still working full time. You know, this was still like I had a regular nine to five job, so um, I would do it kind of on the side or on the weekends, I was not getting a mad rush of orders by any means, maybe like once a month. And then it kind of escalated into, I would get a few orders a week and then it would turn into, you know, a handful of orders a week. And it, it was sort of like, wait a minute, can I continue to do this with my nine to five? And probably about two years after I put that first post out there, maybe even three years, I did a complete site overhaul. And that was actually like my, my aha moment or something. And I actually had it with you in one of your workshops. Yeah. The first business with intention workshop. Yes. The very first one in Chicago. And I realized, okay, if I want to make this work, I was kind of making it work, but I was also freelancing part-time with my friend, Renee, going back, who was a photographer. Um, I thought a lot of changes need to happen. And we we talked about pricing and we talked about um, donating to nonprofits and we talked about redoing the website completely. And that happened in 2012. And since then, I mean, it has just, it it is my full-time job. It's absolutely insane. <laughs>
0: It's amazing, and it's so fun to have watched this. And it was definitely, for those that might be artists and wanting to do something similar, a slow process for you. This wasn't overnight. But the nice thing is, at the same time, all of the efforts you were putting into Yellow Brick Home essentially led to this. They became the marketing, if you will.
1: Exactly, yeah, it, it really did. I would, back when I was a little bit slower, and for some reason, and this is something I kind of go back and forth with now, before this was my full-time job I would share paintings more on the blog if I did a painting then I would share it on the blog and then that would generate you know another couple of orders again this is when I was working full-time and now that it is my full-time job, I actually don't share it as much on the blog. I only ever share it if there's an update in the shop or if maybe I'm having a sale, which I do rarely. Just things like that because I also don't want to take away from the yellow brick home aspect because I know I have readers that are coming strictly for DIY, but then I also have a large portion of readers who not only love DIY, but they love their pets and they love the passion that Scott and I have for our pets. We have four rescue pets in our house. So I know that I have a large majority of readers that come just for the pets. So it's kind of a balance of striking, you know, how much do I share of my art? But at the same time, I need to be able to provide, you know, my salary to the family household, you know? So it's a struggle and that's always something that's a little weird for me to decide on. Do you have any guidelines for that? I think that's a great question for a lot of people. Gosh, I mean, I struggle with that so much myself. Um, I always say I need to post more to show off the marketing side of what I do for the pet shop. And I probably don't do it enough. I would say I maybe do it once a month, if that. And sometimes I feel like I should be doing it once a week. However, I am not an everyday blog poster. We only post maybe three times a week, four times a week if we have a lot going on, and two times a week if maybe we're out of town visiting family or we're not home for the weekends to work on projects. So for me to squeeze in marketing for the pet shop, say once a week, seems a little bit much considering that the bulk of our blog is actually for home DIY decor stuff like that so it's it is a little bit of a balance I would say I try to do at least once a month and even then I'm not very good at that so and like you said the guideline seems to be
0: when there's something new and something worthwhile to say at this point now that it's really established and people generally speaking know that it's there for you
1: exactly yeah I mean it's always on the sidebar and you know every now and then if I talk about it I'll I'll you know, put a link within a post, but I don't necessarily always do a dedicated blog post. I just feel like Yellow Brick Home, it didn't grow to where it is now because I'm a painter. It grew to where we are now because we work really hard on our home. So that first and foremost is what the blog is about. And then the painting is just, you know, a bonus that came from it. And I and lucky enough to have a lot of there's like this whole world of dog bloggers. I don't know if you know that I follow a ton of them because I'm a dog lover. But we're lucky enough to have been featured and followed by all those people. And you know, we get trackback links daily from just other bloggers talking about the pet shop, even if we're not talking about it.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Now, actually, let's take a detour. Let's talk about the four rescue pets you have and how pet adoption became such a big part of your life.
1: Yeah, so we have, when we moved to Chicago, we brought with us two cats, Maddie and Libby. Maddie was mine, Libby was Scott's, and then we all became, you know, one big happy family of four. (laughs) Like a Brady Bunch. Exactly. Um, After we, I gave Scott that dog painting as my little joke that I don't know if it was, you know, very funny to him, but I remember we were having dinner with a friend and, Scott was saying how I would not let him have a dog and, you know, all the pressure and the alcohol from the evening. And it was like, (laughs) Kim, why won't you let Scott have a dog? And I think I just was like, you know what? Let's just go see what's out there. And I remember the next morning – I'm, like, rolling out of bed, and Scott is, like, fully dressed for the day, shoes on, (laughs) coat on, and he's, like, we're going to the shelter, and I said, what? Like, my head is pounding, and he's, like, you don't remember? (laughs) Needless to say, you know, we went to the animal care and control in Chicago and fell in love with a dog who is now our dog, and his name is Jack. And we brought Jack home the next day. We picked him out. He, you know, got snipped and then we brought him home the next day. So that's how our family of four became five. And then just recently in the last month, we adopted one more dog. So now we have four pets and two people living in this house. Well, luckily, you now have the larger house to be
0: living in because you haven't shared it, but one of the things you've recently done is bought a new house and are now renting the old condo that you used to yes. live in. Yes. So thankfully, you now have the, to- the space for it. Yeah. And I know you're really passionate about the breed of dog that you have chosen. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So I would say that I really didn't know much about um, Jack and Cece, who is the new dog we just recently adopted. They're both Pitbull mixes. And I will admit to not really knowing much about pit bulls or knowing what the big deal was about them. When we went and got Jack from the shelter five years ago, he was sad and skinny and his eyes were red and he had like given up and he was sitting in the back of his cage and we had like walked past him five times and kept taking other dogs out that were like excitable and playful and looked really, really cute. And we would take them out of their cage, take them in the little yard that the shelter has, and the dogs kind of didn't want anything to do with us, and we were about to leave, and Scott was like, you know, let's take out this dog whose name was Jimbo. <laughs> the, yeah. Jimbo. So <laughs> his name was Jimbo, and as soon as the um people at the shelter unlatched that gate, Jack wanted nothing to do with a yard. He wanted nothing to do with the people at the shelter. He literally leaped in Scott's arms and just was like licking him like crazy. Came over to me, gave me kisses. I mean, it was. We were like, obviously, this is our dog. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. We are not going home without this dog, and. We just for fun did a um, uh, one of those fifty dollar breed kits that you can get at PetSmart, and it came back that he was mostly an Amstaff, which is basically a pit bull. And I thought, oh, okay, no big deal, right? But people would comment on our blog and talk about how they were so, you know, thrilled that we rescued a pit bull. And I thought, what, you know, what is the big deal about pit bulls? There's this whole. I knew that people thought of them as being scary but I just couldn't imagine that because Jack is such a lover he just is, I mean you know he will he loves yeah. too hard right that's what we always say <laughs> yeah he's a very strong dog but he's very friendly but strong he just, yeah he just loves way too hard so we kind of became entranced with this world of pit bulls and how they just have such a bad rap um, for all the wrong reasons when really they're one of the most amazing breeds of dogs ever. And we became really, um, we wanted to help support the mission of bringing positive breed awareness to this, to our dog. So when we went to go adopt again, it was a no brainer for us. We actually preferred, we seeked out a pit bull this time. And that's how we got Cece, who is also a pit bull mix, kind of a little bit of a bulldog. She She's she, she's really wide. She's a really wide pit bull um, slash bulldog. So we love the breed. We used to do uh, weekly walks with this local Chicago walk Walking club, kind of called Sociables, that was put on by our friends who have a pit bull blog, actually, and that was always really great for Jack. And we would dress them up in costumes and just kind of walk up and down the boulevards or downtown, just to let people know that you know these dogs are pretty awesome.
0: I love that, and I really, I mean, I know there's everybody has their own experience with a breed like a pit bull, for example. And Mm -hmm. from what I've learned, it seems because there's really polarizing views on that breed. It seems like it's a lot about the environment the dog with that kind of strength grew up in, whether or not the pit bull is aggressive yeah. or not. isn't. It's not because pit bulls themselves as a breed are necessarily aggressive, but the environment they've grown up in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that pit bulls are, and, and I hate to just like put blanket statements on anything because it's all very situational and it depends on a thousand things. But by nature, pit bulls are actually a very gentle, sweet breed Um I feel like this is said all the time but it's true that pit bulls used to be considered nanny dogs and would help families raise their babies because of their very sweet nature. When I paint Portraits of people's pit bulls. I can't tell you how many photos I get from people where their pit bulls are literally nuzzling with their newborn child. Aww. And I'm like, and it's just like the sweetest thing ever. So I'm all for them. I think that they're amazing dogs with some of the biggest hearts. They're super loyal. And I mean, I can't say anything bad about them. It's just really unfortunate what some of the thoughts and opinions that are surrounding them because what the news portrays and Things of that nature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what would you recommend for others looking to rescue a pet or specifically even pit bulls?
1: Well, we're huge rescue advocates. Obviously, all four of our pets all did come from a rescue. And there are, I know that there are a lot of breed specific rescues for people that maybe are trying to consider, you know, a purebred dog or going to a rescue. For example, there's a Shiba Inu rescue here in Chicago that I've actually worked with myself. And so sometimes if I hear someone wanting to look for a specific breed, I will suggest maybe searching that there might actually be a rescue for that as opposed to going through someone that breeds them. So... In our case, when we adopted Jack, we didn't really understand at that time that there were foster homes for dogs. I mean, we knew of it, but it wasn't something that we really grasped. I will say that Jack kind of changed our life in that way. He introduced us to the world of pit bulls. He introduced us to the world of foster homes and families and people that take care of dogs that would otherwise get euthanized or put down in the shelter. So even though you can go to the shelter and find a great dog, I would recommend, you know, researching your local foster homes and foster rescues. There are so many of them and so many dogs. I I could seriously have 10 dogs right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you actually still, I know we've talked about this personally, are you still considering fostering now that you have the big house or now that you have CC, is that still...
1: Yeah, so uh, Cece kind of, man, she is such a sweet muffin. When we bought this house, we had talked about wanting to foster dogs as opposed to getting another dog. We thought we'll have Jack with a little buddy, a rotating buddy that we can just continue to keep saving dogs and turning them over. And I don't know what made us switch What made us decide to actually just go for it instead of fostering? That's not to say fostering is completely out of the question now. I think it will be a lot harder because we have adopted two. Your house is big, but it's not. (laughs) Pitbulls are pretty big breed, too. (laughs) They, yeah, they do have a large presence in the room. I mean, they're like other people living in the house, you know? So I wouldn't say it's completely out of the question. I will say it's out of the question until this house at least, you know, is a little bit more finished because, you know, right now the state of it, it's, it's livable. It's totally livable. It's a great house, but there are a thousand things that still need to get done that before we could even consider taking on that responsibility of another foster. Awesome. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about art again. So
0: I know you get asked this a lot about how you've, you know, become a successful artist and some people even find that hard to believe. So what do you think it takes to become a successful artist? And by that, we're kind of talking about,
1: you know, supporting yourself through your income, with your art and so forth. Right. Um, well, it was, let's see, I was 22 when I graduated college and I'm 30. Oh, gosh, I'm almost 32. I'm going to be 32 in May. So 10 years later, I am now a working artist. So um, (laughs) it was not an easy path, but I will say that the the underlying thing is that I have always been, you know, extremely persistent going all the way back to when we first started talking in this interview, how I love it when someone challenges me So, and I want to I challenge myself in that way too, to like try to be the best possible. So as far as me becoming a successful painter that I am now, I will say that I'm not raking in the dough, but I am absolutely able to live exactly how I like to live. So it, you know, there's not huge dollar signs or anything, but I am doing very well. And with, how much work we put into the blog Yellow Brick Home is kind of the, the launching pad that was able to make me to be able to support myself with the paintings.
0: So if you could look at three things that it takes, not just for your story, but also for the artists that are listening, what are the three things you think it takes to become a successful artist?
1: Well, one of the things that I immediately can think of just off the top of my head is that I think nothing frustrates me more. And Scott always says this about me too, that I, I don't have a lot of patience for people that say they're going to do something and then never just do it. That kind of drives me crazy because how are you going to get to where you want to be if you don't ever put that into action? And a lot of creative people I'm a very type A creative person. I'm not like an easy breezy, like what you might think. That is true.
0: You really are. I'm more easy breezy than you, I
1: think. Yeah, you are. We're we're totally opposite in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just do something and throw it at the wall and see if it works. And you... I'm very methodical. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I just don't have a lot of patience for people that say they're going to do something for a very long time and then don't do it. So first and foremost, just start somewhere, right? Like you have to start somewhere. And follow through is important. And follow through. Yeah. So, so that's number one. Number one. Can I use follow through as number two? Because that is so important. Wait, well then what's number one? Starting. Oh, starting. is <laughs> number <It's tougher> one. <laughs> because you have to take baby steps. Because sometimes I just feel like I, I would do this to myself. You give yourself these huge tasks and they seem unattainable. And then at the end of the weekend, I think, well, gosh, I only got three things done on my to-do list. And Scott's like, but you had 15 things on it to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So here's a question then. What do you think people should do to start as an artist? Well, I mean, what is it that they want to do? Do they want to you know, have a great successful blog, write a blog post. Like sometimes it's just as simple as doing it. I know that people get caught up in their own head and it's really easy and and I do it too, but you just have to take the first step. Like, so for example, I just launched a line of pet prints, which are fine art replications of the portraiture that I have been painting over the last several years. And in that sense, I had actually been talking about doing that for a while. So I totally wasn't listening to my own rule number one, which is to start until finally I just was like, enough is enough. So I started by calling around to printers and finding the best one for me and getting prints made. And then, I mean, just doing that, it just felt like this huge task that would never happen. Just doing that made it snowballed it into launching the new product.
0: And what really it probably took was Googling or asking a a fellow photographer, right? This isn't hard stuff. And I think I agree. There's so many great resources out there. Yes, you can get paid resources that are really comprehensive, but you can also just, there's so much to find out just by searching something online.
1: Yeah, and even just, you know, reaching out to someone you maybe admire, even if you don't know them, maybe you just, you saw them on on a blog somewhere or you have always admired their art or you saw them in an art show and, you know, they're there sipping wine. Like, it might seem intimidating, but I bet if you ask them, they'll answer. Or you offer them some money, honestly,
0: because as someone who, you know, business consulting for so many years, I'll get people that ask me that and it's kind of a tricky subject, at least for someone who sells business advice at at the time that I did. Yeah, for
1: you, it's a little trickier, because then it's like, well, do you want to buy my services, or just want something for free? But here's a suggestion, even for an artist, right? Because it can be
0: tricky. I was an artist, well, I was a designer for many years myself. If you have someone that makes bags, for example, and you want to work with, get to know someone that has bags, don't ask them for their resources or their manufacturing right from the get-go, because it's too much too soon. You have
1: no backstory there. Do you how do you feel about that? That's my thought. I totally agree. I you know, if people ask me, you know, what paint do you use or what this and that do you use, like I'll say the you know, Oh, I use acrylic paint or I use maybe the brand of paint doesn't matter for me. But when people start saying like, where do you source your canvases or your panels? And what is the printer that you use? I can't say that because that took me a lot of time to figure out on my own as well. But I can definitely tell them how I maybe found the right answer for me because what's right for me might not be the right thing for them and for what I needed might not be what they're looking for but when it comes to something like that I can at least help to guide them not that it's like a secret that I want to keep in but it you understand it you you work so hard to just even figure that out in the first place
0: Yes, and so what I would say, if you really want to get some really great advice and you really want someone to feel comfortable and open up and give you the whole shebang, offer to pay them for their time. Literally, yeah. I'm actually thinking about doing that um, myself for someone who I know that produced a television show that I really admire. And I thought about it and I was like, I wonder if she has some great insights for me with a Lively Show. So rather than just emailing her out of the blue, I haven't you know, talked to her for years and just hoping that she would, care about me or even remember me, I'm actually, if I do make that contact, going to offer to pay her for her time. This is not something, obviously, if you're in college, even if you can't pay a lot, I think it shows your commitment and your dedication to honoring them. And obviously, they don't have to take you up on it, but I think If you really want to get great detailed information and not just something that people don't feel uncomfortable sharing, and that's going to be different for every artist, I think offering money is a sign of respect and honor. You don't have to, but I think it really goes a long way. And I think you'll get more out of the process as well. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, so that's number one is getting started. So either using Google or reaching out to people who are already in the field, money or some kind of value, right? Really showing them you don't just want something free. Give them something of value first. And I think that really helps. Okay, then two is follow through. So whatever you find out, go do it. And what's number three? Oh, gosh. Number three, advice. Well, while you're pausing, I actually had an idea that I want to do to reach out to someone who makes so much money that the money part, to go back to that first step and like if you want to pay someone, another way to do it instead of paying them is to find something they love and give them something that is meaningful to them and their personal interests. So for example, the person I want to reach out to, totally separate from the producer I mentioned, I'd love to get his feedback on something. And this person has way more money than I ever will at this point in time so rather than trying to offer that because that's meaningless or he'd probably charge too much I'm actually gonna I've been thinking about possibly buying him lunch even though he lives in Texas like totally different uh part of the country for me I've thought about what if I offer to buy him lunch and I know he likes tacos because he's really big about that Um, (laughs) what if I find his favorite taco place or even ask him and say I'd love to get you know have a lunch with you. Can I buy you lunch? I'm going to like, where, what's your order? I'll place it. It'll get delivered to your office, his office directly. But what a novel way to kind of change things up. It's not very expensive. That probably would cost me less than 20 bucks. But I think the way of that that could play out would be so novel and hopefully enjoyable right he may not say yes to it but it can't hurt (laughs) and that's a way of doing something that doesn't have much money associated with it but is really thoughtful because I know he loves tacos or if you know someone's a runner like offer to get them I don't know the best water bottle that they just wrote about her people have sent me things that are white and gold because I know I love white and gold so (laughs) it's another way to show that you care and that you're supporting them before you're asking for a bunch of um, advice or wisdom or insight from them just another side note as, as you were thinking of your third thing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So I will say that the third thing in terms of, you know, getting, you know, to the point that you maybe see yourself being at is probably one of the hardest ones is say that you set up your beautiful Etsy shop. And then it's just like, now, what? I think the third thing, the hardest part is probably trying to get your name out there. So I don't know. I know some of the things that you have done, and I think you know, reaching out and and I have too, like reaching out to other bloggers or other things like that is a great way. But, Trying to find the way to, depending on what it is that you're doing, say that you are a painter and you, know, you live in a city where you could potentially go to galleries and present your portfolio and do things like that to get your name out there. Because once you have everything set up and say that you've done everything right and you think everything looks good and you have amazing photography and everything's well written and someone designed something, your site beautifully, it, nothing's going to happen unless you take that next proactive step to actually get your name out there into the world as well. So basically, you're saying, besides just reaching out online
0: and sharing it with people that might want to share it, you're talking about also going offline and finding the, the right outlets for you as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, offline is y- offline is how I met you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, you you know, came I, to the thing. If you just sent me yeah. an email, we probably wouldn't be friends right now. Exactly. I mean, when I saw, I feel like I found your um, website by fate that day it, it sounds, you know, silly, but it's true. I, I don't even remember what blog I was reading, but they had just linked back to you like in one simple word and I clicked on it. And that day you had just written a post saying Chicago creatives, our first business in the city. And I thought, what I want to do that. And then we went and I forced my friend Pete with us who makes, um, these, those beautiful handmade, like old grandpa pipes. Yes, and his nickname is Grandpa, for those of his Grandpa Pete, yes. And and I would have never met you that way. And now, like, you and I have been able to bounce so many ideas off of each other and give each other so much feedback over the years. And so I think going offline is just as important as staying online and just using as many resources as you can. Did you go to art school? Do you have friends that maybe could give you advice, too, or, or, you know, give you the nudge that you need to maybe help promote your name a little bit as well. Like think back. And like you said, don't just expect everything for free, but be creative about the ways that you approach people as well.
0: Yeah. I love that. And it I think it's really smart. I think that offline. Also, I was just listening to a podcast today myself. And it was with Tim Ferriss. And he was talking about how Tim Ferriss is a famous author with a four hour work week, which a lot of people know if he's a big deal on a different side of the internet, perhaps, but he's a big, big success. And he got his book out before he was anyone and knew anyone at all in the online space. Now he's like, huge, but at the time he went to the least crowded channel as he called it. He went to the place where people weren't going as much. Email and phone was inundated. People could send email so easily to anyone that he wanted to reach out to. So instead he went to places like South by Southwest, which had his audience, but he went to live events and would reach out in person and make connections with people and then follow up back online. And I think that's actually the, when I think about the deepest relationships I have with people online myself, The ones that I've met in person go deeper. Yeah. I do still have friendships that I have only ever met online. And that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, also very real friendships. But I think that the online or eventually meeting up with the people that are your online friends just takes everything to the next level and really is the best way to make an impression. It's not the only way, but man, Yeah, I
1: agree completely. Totally. So
0: now let's move on to the last two questions. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. What doubts or resistance have you faced in your life?
1: I will say that, again, I am almost 32, almost 10 years after I graduated from art school. I mean, so many people would maybe think, you know, like, what can you do with an art degree? I was really, really lucky to have a family that was just... That would say, well, naturally, you're going to get an art degree. What else would you do? That's what you were born to do. So I was really lucky in that sense. But I, I won't say that going from art school to being, I'm a stay-at-home, work-from-home, full-time person making paintings all day and doing photography and blogging about home DIY. It didn't happen overnight. So, as far as my journey to get here, it was not quick or and it wasn't easy. I started out right after college being a freelance photography assistant and I hustled my ass off. I, If I wasn't working for a photographer that day, I was spending my entire days off going through the phone book. I can't even believe. Cause the, <laughs> I use the actual phone book to look up photographers in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there's some amazing photographers in Cincinnati. I will say that because they have Procter & Gamble based there. So a lot of product photography was based there. But I would spend my entire days off just trying to reach out to other photographers to get the next job. After I told Scott, well, I'm just going to move to Chicago. And I started working for a wedding photographer in Chicago. That didn't work out for many reasons, but I will say that I job hopped like a crazy woman. I mean, I can't, I had so many jobs and I thought, well, this one will be perfect. And then it wasn't. And then I always would tell myself that if you're not happy to move on or try something different, if you're truly, truly not happy, I'm not saying that like, if things aren't going the way you plan, you quit and give up. But if you just know in your heart of hearts, that you're not happy, move on. And I just became this perpetual job hopper. And it just wasn't working. I was working nine to five thinking that's what I was supposed to do because the freelancing was too hard. And it took, you know, 10 years to figure out to get to this point that I was finally able to, you know, my friend gave me an opportunity to start freelancing for her. I started freelancing for her and I thought, well, you know what, if I make X amount of dollars in a week, which you and I have now dubbed the spaghetti number, like the lowest amount that you could possibly make to just live okay. And I'm not saying, eat spaghetti. Like, can you eat spaghetti every night and like rent you know something from Redbox on Friday night for the week, like then you have got your spaghetti number. And I was able to figure out that number if I could freelance with my friend and just fail miserably at working on the blog or or the paintings I had started to get, but still hadn't snowballed into what it is today. Then I would be okay. But luckily, with that opportunity to work for just the spaghetti number, I was able to finally realize, okay, I have all this time now to do what I want to make this the best thing that it can be. And I worked extra hard on projects for the blog and I worked extra hard, you know, around the home and extra hard on the website and the web design for the pet shop and all of those things, you know, to be able to get to where I was. So as far as my doubts and resistance, I mean, I was my own doubter for years before I was able to finally have my moment to realize that the spaghetti number was this magic thing that I needed to be able to make to make it to what I am able to do now
0: so really the your ego would say to you that you're you're lazy or not cut out for this? What would the thoughts be going through your head?
1: Well, I would never call myself a lazy person. There are times where all I want is to wish that I was a lazy person because (laughs) if I was a lazy person, I wouldn't care that I was a lazy person. But I I don't have that in me. I just, I don't have that bone in my body. But... I think I was just scared that I couldn't just cut off all my ties and try to go into things, you know, head first. And I think that a lot of people aren't in that boat where they can do that. So they do get scared. So I had to just slowly do my three-step process of starting on like nights and weekends to get to the point where I was able to finally break free. But sometimes starting is the hardest part. Yeah, and
0: actually I just got this today. Maybe you can answer this question. So I was just asked, oh, um, someone has a long commute and they work a lot of hours. And they asked me how to have the energy to do the work on the nights and weekends. What would you say to them? Because I know obviously you didn't have a huge commute, but you were working a lot. How did you get the energy to do the painting on the side at first?
1: I will say that I was really excited about it in all honesty. So it didn't really seem like work. It was just something that I wanted to do. So, I mean, that's the simple answer, but Scott, for example, he will leave the house at five in the morning and sometimes doesn't get home until six or seven at night. And then we made a rule where Mondays are our day off full stop. Just nothing can happen on Monday nights. But if we can work out a plan where it's like, well, Tuesday, we're going to go to the fabric store and Wednesday, we're going to get our supplies at, at the hardware store for the weekend. And like, as long as we can break it up into really like manageable chunks during the weeknights, we do almost all of our work on the weekends together. So breaking it up, sizing it up to what makes the most sense for your life. You don't want to burn out. And loving what you're doing enough to be inspired. Right. If it seems like, Oh my God, the last thing I want to do, like, is that really what you want to do? great question. I think that's a
0: great question to pose to people that might be struggling with that. It may be, but maybe there's something else there. I suggested just as a little tip for the long commute part to listen to really awesome podcasts that are inspiring and business focused. So if people are looking for great ones, my two favorites right now are Social Triggers podcast and the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. I think those, listening to those as I drive around, actually did that on the way home from your place today, just (laughs) really get me excited and give me so many ideas. So i I think maybe that might also help the transition to business at home go smoother than totally checking out and listening to maybe music or something unrelated.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a, a good point. I've been on the podcast train lately, like in the last month, and you know I'm really late to the podcast game, but... I have found that rather than listening to music on the days that I'm at home painting, I will listen to podcasts instead. And they're just so much, they just inspire me so much more than if I was only listening to music.
0: Last but not least, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey?
1: I knew you were going to ask this and I um, and I had my answer, but I already <laughs> kind of gave you my answer. And that is the, the just to just do it, stop internalizing it in your head, which I know you might be thinking, but like, don't you do that? Because I tend to overanalyze everything to like the nth degree till it's perfect. But you still execute. That's the thing. Right. You might take twice, as, <laughs> three times as long as I would
0: do, take to do something, but you still execute. There's never a question of whether you're going to do it.
1: Exactly. And I think sometimes so many people, you know, they, they have these ideas and then it is a question constantly if they ever will do it. So you know for someone just starting out you you have to start somewhere and you would be surprised at if you just take baby steps and you really break down these steps for for steps that are as tiny as you need them to be knowing yourself as a person it will snowball it really truly will i remember i had this fear that when i did start working as a freelancer for my friend and just getting by on my spaghetti number i thought well, what if I suddenly have these three days off during the week and I just become a couch potato and like watch movies and soaps and eat chocolate all day? Because like I honestly had this fear that all of a sudden I wouldn't have the drive, but it was like so the opposite would happen once you just like dip your toe in and make the first – Google search, you know, to like look up a printer or figure out, you know, what is the best brand of of paint to use, just anything, you will suddenly find yourself snowballing into something. And then with every step you take, it not only gets easier, but you just get that much closer to your goal. Yeah. I
0: think it's great. I think also to the uh, Google search. One more thought there. So when you say when you have this on your to do, oh, I have to find the printer. Right. That sounds really like intimidating. But you could also break it down as far as saying I'm going to call three printers today. I'm going to find three numbers. It's not I have to find the printer today and make this decision. But I need to call three and I need to get their information so that tomorrow I can assimilate that information and make a decision. Right. You could break it down that far. So it's not find the printer. It's Call three printers.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's the same as um, if Scott and I were like, paint the bedroom. And you you think, gosh, I could easily paint the bedroom this weekend, but it could start with spackle the walls, sand the walls, you know, prep the room for paint and then paint the bedroom. Everything can be broken down into things that are so much more attainable and so much less daunting. And when you do it that way, you... Even just being able to check those things off your list, the sense of accomplishment you get is hugely motivating. Yeah.
0: And actually, that's a tip that comes from the Power of Full Engagement, actually. Or no, Getting Things Done. Sorry, not Power of Full Engagement, which is a great book. But Getting Things Done actually <laughs> talks about using a verb in your to-do list. So it's what is the action you're going to take? And then follow that up rather than, say, the project as a whole or the end goal. Talk about the action you're going to take first. yeah This has been awesome, Kim. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, thank you so much. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for Kim for being on the show. Today, I want to end with one final thought, which is who would you like to see on the Lively Show coming up? What guests would inspire you and what topics would you like to hear more about? Please let me know through Twitter at JessCLively or by commenting on this post, which is JessLively.com slash Kim. Let me know who you'd like to see next and I will start to do my best to reach out to them. Or if you know someone and that you might personally be able to connect me to that person and that guest yourself, please let me know. That would be amazing. And I hope that we can continue to create even more awesome episodes going forward that are really gonna help you add more intention to your day. Have a great one.